0: I am delighted to be joined again by UConn Associate Professor of Physics, John Trump, here today because we had John back on in February after the launch from New Guinea of the James West Space Telescope, the most powerful observatory ever launched into orbit. The pictures came out last week, and I said, we got to get John back on to talk about this because this is a really, really big deal. So we welcome back the Yukon physics professor. And John, good morning. Tell the folks where you
1: are this morning. Uh, good morning, Wayne. Uh, so I'm actually in Baltimore. So I, I traveled down to the Space Telescope Science Institute, uh, the building where mission control for the James Webb Space Telescope, as well as the Hubble Space Telescope, is located. So down here to work with folks on these pretty incredible, brand-new observations.
0: So what was it like when the first images were sent back that we all saw back last week there was one and there was four tell me what your reaction was to what we all saw
1: yeah you know it's it's. I have to be honest I was completely blown away I have been preparing for the launch uh, well for, for the first observations from James Webb for I don't know since I was an astronomy student almost 20 years ago and you know I, I've been writing proposals and thinking about what I'll do with the telescope and what we'll learn about the universe and then I saw the first images and it was more than I could have imagined. I, just, about, just about everything uh, was better than I expected. The, the depth of the images, the clarity of the images, you, particularly when you put them next to Hubble images, you really see how, uh, how, how the kind of new window on the universe that we get from the James Webb Space Telescope. It's pretty incredible.
0: I was just completely blown away. John, let me back up the truck. Just identify to people what your role in this was, what really the University of Connecticut's role was in getting that
1: telescope deployed out in, what is it, a million miles away now? That's right, a million miles away beyond the orbit of the moon. Yeah, so I, I'm part of uh, some of the early release science observations. So uh, along with about 11 colleagues, we put in a proposal five years ago saying we'd like to use to, to use James Webb for some of the very first looks at our universe, right, for some of the very first observations, you know, once it had to launch, right, then it took three weeks to get a million miles away beyond the orbit of the moon, then it had to unfold. Then when everything was ready, uh, we wrote a proposal five years ago saying uh, we'd like to do some of the very first observations, and we were awarded that proposal, um, and so here we are, <laughs> you know, with some of these uh, very new completely game-changing observations of our universe it looks like so far everything
0: has gone perfectly is that true have there been any snags you know
1: it's amazing um everything has not just gone very well right but better than expected so just about every a- aspect of the observatory you know started with the launch right so the launch was just about perfect and conserved enough fuel that we now think the web space telescope Will, be, will last longer, uh, will be able to be used longer, will have a longer mission lifetime, right? Now, over, we estimate there's enough fuel for over 20 years of operations, which was not the plan at launch. We expected perhaps only 10. Um, in addition, right, so that started with launch, and, and all of the deployment, all the, the crazy, complicated origami of this telescope having to unfold, again, a million miles away, where if something goes wrong, there's nothing we can do. All of these operations went better than expected. And, you know, the depth of the images, the sensitivity of the instrument, the crispness and clarity of the images that James Webb is sending back to us are much, much better than expected. This is nothing like, uh, you know, the, the first observations of Hubble, right, which had a flaw in the mirror, you know, famously were a bit blurry. Nothing like that at all. These images are actually better
0: than we anticipated. You use the word crispness. Let me go from crispness to Christmas that's when it was launched, from French Guyana. Why was it launched from there, and how many rockets go up from French Guyana?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it it was quite a Christmas, uh, certainly for the world's astronomers. Maybe. I I like to think for everybody who cares about space, which I think is most of us. Yeah, so uh, the Webb Space Telescope is a collaboration of NASA, but also the European Space Agency and also the Canadian Space Agency, and many international partners around the world. And so... Webb was actually launched on an ESA, European Space Agency, rocket. Uh, the European Space Agency launches their rockets from French Guiana. It's more convenient to launch rockets. Uh, it, it's more efficient to launch rockets closer to the equator, which, of course, is why NASA likes to launch rockets uh, from Cape Kennedy in Florida. Tell me about the importance after the
0: launch, a couple of days after the launch, to deploy the sunshield. If that doesn't
1: deploy, you got problems that's right yeah so i have to say watching the launch following you know every step of the way as the telescope unfolded for those first three weeks after launch i was terrified there are so many things that can go wrong and this is such a complicated endeavor right so the sun shield on the james webb space telescope is the size of a tennis court right and it's this it's multiple layers of this super thin only atom stick membrane right which is designed to protect the telescope and the instruments from the heat of the sun and all of this, right? The, the tensioning of the sunshade expanding from, you know, a tiny folded up little thing in the nose cone of a rocket, right? Extending all the way out to the size of a tennis court, the unfurling of the mirror, which was also folded up, right? This gold plated beryllium mirror, uh, which is 20 feet in diameter, six and a half meters in diameter. Uh, you know, this had to unfold a secondary mirror had to unfurl out on a boom, this all of this all of this anything that had gone wrong that would have been it right we would have had this 10 billion dollar space junk sitting out there a, a million miles away but no everything worked uh everything unfolded properly and now we have the rewards right these magnificent magnificent
0: images of our universe so john it's a million miles away Is it all on pre-programmed automation now? Is there anything the people, well, where you are, mission control, can do at this point to give it orders from so far
1: away? Yeah, so um, much of it is automated, but, you know, there are folks uh, actually 24 hours a day uh, relaying information to and from the observatory. Right, So uh, certainly we're watching out for, for problems. I, I'd say the biggest risk now, now that we've, to be very, very clear, the observatory has retired most of the most dangerous risks, right? Concerns about unfolding properly, uh, instruments cooling down and operating efficiently and effectively. The biggest risk now is actually hits from micrometeorites. And so there are folks uh, you know, sitting in front of these control boards at Mission Control 24 hours a day, Watching just to make sure everything remains optimal, all you know, all systems working as expected. If there is a problem, or you know, if there needs to be a course correction or something like this, uh, where the Webb Space Telescope sits at this L two Lagrange point, if there needs to be a course correction, folks can you know uh, type that in and, and set instructions. And of course, folks are sending instructions on that tell the Webb Space Telescope where to point, what to look at, what kind of observations to make. Well, on. Tuesday, they
0: released pictures. They released a stunning galaxy cluster in full color. And the next day, four more images depicting star nurseries, galaxy groups, a particularly watery exoplanet and a dying star. Let's talk about those. First off, it's 4.6 billion years ago. So what does that teach us about where we came
1: from, John? (laughs) Yeah. So I I like to think about telescopes as kind of like time machines. Right? So when we look at things that are very far away, we are seeing them as they were in the distant past. I mean, the speed of light is very fast, but it's not infinite. You know, there, there's a cap on how fast light goes. And so when something is very far away, like 4.6 billion light years away, it takes that light 4.6 billion years to get to us. And so we get to use the James Webb Space Telescope to peer back into the early universe. Right. To understand the universe as it was and understand how galaxies formed, how my my own favorite topic, how the black holes inside those galaxies came to be and grew. And just to
0: put in perspective, for four point six billion light years, how long does it take light to get from our sun to us? Because I don't think people think about this, but what we're seeing of the sun already happened a few seconds ago, didn't it?
1: That's right. Eight minutes. Yeah, it takes light from our sun eight minutes to get to us. So anytime you know, don't look at the sun with your naked eye, but uh, all the sunlight that we see here on Earth is from the sun as it was eight minutes ago. So even in this respect, we are seeing the sun as it was in the very nearby past. So compare eight minutes
0: to 4.6 billion years. That's what we're talking about here. One of the images released on Tuesday wasn't a photograph of a celestial body at all. It was a graph that showed the measurement of water content in the atmosphere of a giant exoplanet dubbed WASP-96b. You can talk about why they called it 96b if you want. But I think that the, the story here is the fact that they found water content out there in
1: outer space. That's big news. It's, it's huge news. This was one of my favorite of the – this this might have been my favorite. It's hard to pick, you know, of these beautiful images, these beautiful observation releases. You know, it's almost like, like trying to pick a favorite child. But the water vapor detection was amazing. Yeah, so so this is the actual – this is the kind of Webb Space Telescope observation that I'm most excited about. Uh, these This spectroscopy, right, taking the light and measuring it as a function of color, right? It's a very specific function of color. And when you do this, you can take a chemical fingerprint of the composition of something out there in space. And so one of the first web observations was this spectrum, you know, taking the light of this exoplanet atmosphere, turning it into a rainbow, looking at the brightness as a function of color, and discovering tremendously abundant water vapor in the atmosphere of this planet. So this is an exoplanet, a planet outside our solar system, it's a planet that is unlike any we have in our solar system it's a hot jupiter jupiter sized but closer than mercury to its host star right so if you imagine you took jupiter and moved it very very close to our sun you'd get something like this wasp 96b right this hot jupiter exoplanet and it was shocking to see so much water vapor in its atmosphere now you know i don't think that could not be life as we know it here on Earth, on WASP-96b, despite the presence of water, Um, but it's very exciting to learn that, you know, just as we now know, most stars have planets. Perhaps most of those planets have water. And we know that here on Earth, water is the one thing that all life needs. So when we astronomers think about, is there life out there in the universe? Are there some kind of aliens out there? We tend to look for water. And here we found it. (laughs) In the very first exoplanet that we looked
0: phone home what does a black hole look like with the definition you're getting from the james webb telescope is it like a black screen or how do you know there's something
1: in that black hole yeah so so this is the area of my research i'm particularly interested in this chicken or egg problem of you know which comes first the first galaxies or the black holes within them we know that every galaxy has one of these black holes down in the center uh you may remember the images from the event horizon telescope that look like this light donut, right, that come from, the, from light emission outside of the event horizon of the black hole in our galaxy, which we call Sagittarius A star in the constellation Sagittarius. So these black holes, when we see them, they are much too, they're only like solar system sized, right? So they're very small, actually, uh, even in the centers of galaxies, even when they weigh millions to billions of times the mass of the sun. Our own black hole, Sagittarius A-star, weighs about 4 million times the mass of the sun. And so we can't actually resolve them directly using a telescope like James Webb. Um, It actually takes a planet-sized array of telescopes like the Event Horizon Telescope. And even then, we can only see two, right? This Sagittarius A-star in our galaxy and another one called A-7. And so what we do is we actually look for the signature of matter as it's on its way falling into the black hole. Once that matter hits this thing we call the event horizon, we can no longer see it. Light cannot escape. But as long as it's above that limit, it actually loses tremendous amounts of energy as it falls in and glows quite brightly. And some of these supermassive black holes can outshine their galaxies, especially if they're eating lots and lots of stuff and lots and lots of stuff is falling onto them. Until it hits that event horizon, it can actually glow quite brightly. And so that's how I'm that's how I'm planning to use web to search for the first More than 100 proposals
0: submitted, only 13 were chosen to be part of the early release phase, including two separate proposals involving UConn researchers. You, and you want to put in a good word
1: for your fellow assistant professor of physics, Kate Whitaker? Yeah, so uh, Kate Whitaker actually, uh, you know, was at UConn when she was aware of this proposal. She's since moved on to her alma mater at UMass. But I have to say, it's kind of amazing. You know, UConn didn't have a, a large... Astronomy research program, and they hired a, a block of three of us all at once six years ago. Um, me and Kate Whitaker and Kara Battersby, uh, all faculty in the department. And since then, we've hired two more astronomers, and it, it's been quite exciting growing this new program um, and building this. And I have to say, we've we've you know been fortunate. We've had lots of success. We've had our students write proposals and actually drive Hubble. I think in 2019, our students, our PhD students, drove Hubble. Told you know gave. Hubble, the instructions of what to observe for an entire week of the 52 week year. And so we've, you know, we're really uh, hitting the ground running, I think, with our new program. Uh, It's a very exciting time (laughs) studying
0: astrophysics at UConn. You know, John, I remember when I was in school, we were taught that Saturn has rings. But now we're seeing that Jupiter
1: has rings? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, you know, the rings of Saturn are certainly more dense. Uh, more of them, more visibly apparent. If you look up with a telescope, I have to say Saturn's rings are one of my favorite things to see when I'm looking through a small telescope. Uh, but yeah, Jupiter has rings as well. You know, these, these gas giant planets, uh, Uranus has rings. Neptune, a very, very faint one. Um, but these gas giant planets, these Jovian planets, are common in that they have rings, they have lots and lots of moons. We think this is from uh, the way the solar system formed, right? We've got these inner rocky planets, these outer gas giant planets.
0: That's right. Does the James Webb Space Telescope stay in a stationary position? I don't think you can call it an orbit. Maybe you can. Or does it keep getting
1: farther from Earth? Yeah. So the James Webb Space Telescope, again, a million miles away, out beyond where the moon is, actually orbits the sun. So it is in a a semi-stable orbit, and I'll get into that in a moment, uh, but actually orbiting the sun and then tugged on by the Earth. So, you know, normally something further away, like Mars, for example, orbits the sun more slowly. In the case of Webb, it orbits the sun, but is tugged on a little bit by the gravity of the Earth, and so actually orbits with the same period of a year that we do. Now, I say semi-stable because this, it's, it's sort of like the top of the hill, right? The, the orbital L2 Lagrange point where the James Webb Space Telescope sits. And so if you're rolling a ball up a hill, right, you have to balance it very precisely on the top for it to be in, in a stable location. You know, if the ball falls one way or the other, for example, from the wind, then you have to push it back up with, you know, a little bit of effort. And James Webb is much like this. And so it's constantly being buffeted actually by the solar wind, you know, not by the kind of wind we'd have from weather here, but by the solar wind. And so it actually sits just below the top of the hill being buffeted by the solar wind. And so it does need to use a little bit of fuel to stay where it is at that, you know, L2 Lagrange point a million miles away. When I wrote to John last week, see if we can get
0: him on to talk about this major news event from last week and beyond the James Webb Space Telescope, I said, you must be pretty giddy. And he basically said, oh, I'm more than giddy. This thing has worked so well. I'm so happy. And, John, I'm really glad we could have you back to talk about it, and maybe we'll get you back down the road when there's more things going on with the James Webb. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Wayne. It's been a pleasure to be here. You bet. John Trump, associate professor in the Department of Physics at the University of Connecticut on 14 WILI Willimatic and 95.3 FM. (laughs)